Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, James Azar here. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I wanted to post my keynote from December 15th Uh, this year here in Atlanta, where I spoke and gave the keynote address at FutureCon. The folks at FutureCon were so kind to allow me to post this on the podcast, and I'm really excited to share with you my keynote address titled The Modern CISO. I hope you enjoyed. I know the audience did. I got some great feedback after the talk. I look forward to getting yours. Until then, here you go. Tune in and listen into The Modern CISO. Remember, this was a live recording So some audio may not be at its best quality. I do apologize for that, but here we go. From the Cyber Hub Bunker in studio, you're listening to the CISO Talk Podcast. No sales, no bullshit, just straight talk. Straight talk. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Hey everyone, how's it going? Good? I, I got the after lunch speaking spot, which means you guys are all sleepy and tired. So there's a bunch of Mountain Dew outside. I suggest we slam him like Steve Austin, right? Like right before a big wrestling match. But um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. It's great to see you guys face to face, right? Like it's awesome to be uh, out, behind a Zoom screen outside of my studio. And like, you know, I'm so Zoomed out. It's great to see people in... in, in in person. So um, I'm really excited about today's talk. Um, I kind of polished it off over uh, this morning as we're kind of all dealing with, uh, you guys heard of a thing called like Log4Shell, Log4J? Anyone heard of it? You know, the bags under my eyes is a, is, is a mark of a two-month-old baby at home and then Log4Shell, right? So between the two, I've had um, very little sleep since uh, Thursday night. But we're going to talk about something completely different, something a little bit more optimistic. Um, and that's really the set of skills that the modern CISO needs to possess. Um, the modern CISO is kind of a, a, to- a term I coined. Um, it's the title of my book that will be coming out in the third quarter of next year. Um, and the concept is that we've got to kind of uh, move along. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, I promise I'm not going to bore you. There's not a lot of text on the slides. Slide's very animated. That's why we kind of uh, are running a little bit late because uh, I don't like to speak behind slideshows. So we'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. But uh, I do, let me make sure. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about old school, 
right? Because uh, the, the, the very thing we're dealing with today is old school, right? Java, who, who still writes anything in Java anymore? Anyone? Show of hands, anyone? There's like, eh, Bryson maybe, maybe, right? What, what's, what's Java? I've, I've seen so many funny memes, right? When someone used to say proudly, like, we're a Java shop, now it's just like a slight of terror, right? You're like, what, you're doing Java? A lot of the, the kind of security work's always been so IT-related, right? We're kind of the guys behind IT, where CISOs are predominantly reporting the CIOs. We're almost buried behind a, uh, a uh, kind of a stigma that, you know, we're in the basement and in a room and it's dark. Um, anyone ever been to the city of Atlanta pre-breach a cybersecurity unit? Right? Did you ever have cell phone reception down there? They were in the basement of City Hall, behind like 18-inch thick walls. That's not for security purposes. That was the only space they could give them, right? Like you had to go to one of the... I had, in order to get a reception in there, I had to go to the basement window of one of the offices to make a phone call, right? We're, we're kind of outside of that now. We're, we're in a different position now because there's been... Where's Wes? Is Wes here? Wes is on the panel. Wes, how long have you been a CISO for now? 20 years, 12 years. I know people that have been doing it for 20. David Levin was, has been doing it for, what, 19 years, I think. Um, a lot of people have kind of dug in their heels and kind of dealt with the cards that were being dealt by corporate America um, to get the attention of security to the board, to get, the, to get security from the little kids table to the big boy table. And we're going to talk about what kind of skills it takes for the modern CISO beyond just what we've done before, kind of the CISSP or CISO certs um, that really kind of give you the cybersecurity background, but they miss everything else that a modern chief information security officer needs to know. And those skills are critical because that's the only way we're going to really get out of the little kids table and move on to the big kids table. Right, be sitting in boards. Have how many? How many of you here have cybersecurity experts representation on your board of directors in your organization today? Yeah, that should be everyone, right? But it's not because we're lacking that penetration. Because part of it is our fault, myself included, right? So if I point the finger at anyone, I'm always pointing the finger at myself, not at any of you. I promise. But my. Uh, I didn't notice I had my glasses right here. That's such a douche move. Um, all right, so the, 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 we, we don't, it's, it's our fault because we don't speak business, right? We've always spoken in IT talk, in uh, the sky is falling Chicken Little. Anyone read Chicken Little recently, watched a movie? Yeah, that's what security people, if you, if you surveyed executives every single year and you say, what do you think of your security person? You know, chicken little. The sky's always falling. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough uh, budget. They don't have enough people. But they're never really speaking in terms that would make sense for me as a chief executive or a chief financial officer to make the right decision to support their mission. Now, we're starting to see that move. We're going to talk about those skills here because it's taken 20 years to get there, right? I think Steve, Steve Katz was the first CISO 28 years ago. I know people that have been doing it around the same period of time, but internationally. So 
Why do we need them? Because our roles as CISOs has evolved. And in case you are wondering why, just look at what's been happening. What happened a year ago this week? Anyone remember? Anyone remember? Solar winds. Yeah, don't be afraid. Solar winds. It seems like the first or second week of December every year we're gifted a gift. Right? It's kind of like the cyber world's way of just screwing with us right before the holidays. Now, as a Jew, I'm very happy this happened post-Hanukkah. I'm okay. I'm ready to work. I don't have Christmas in nine days, right? I'm good. I'm set. But, but, but everyone else is kind of looking at this going, like, can we get this done by Christmas? And how do you know this is evident? Because yesterday, Director Easterly of CISA came out and said, hey, federal people and civilian agencies and government, if this isn't patched by December 24th, <laughs> right? She's like, we're taking Christmas break this year. I don't know about you guys, but we're all going on break. So we are now a business driver. Security is now and forever will be from this day forward a business driver, a business decision. It is no longer just about IT. We're not IT people anymore. We're, why did that go to the last piece? See, you guys are getting the entire thing of my presentation now. We're not just IT. There we go. We're not just IT. We're so much more than IT. We're business people. We're entrepreneurs. We're marketers. We're public speakers. We're CFOs. We're risk officers. We're um, salespeople. Uh, anyone here thinks that a CISO or a security role is not sales? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're lobbyists, by the way. The NTSC, we lobby, right? Uh, uh, you know, Patrick Gall's organization, this was the NTSC, which has done leaps and bounds in D.C. for CISOs, is a Georgia-based organization that was created by TAG, um, and led by Patrick Gall, which has, you know, done a ton for... Um, for, for security practitioners in terms of, one, legislation, but also in terms of getting the voice heard. Uh, three of our members on the NTSC are now on Director Easterly's uh, ad Civilian Advisory Committee. Ron Green from MasterCard, um, Helen Patton of uh, Duo Secure. I think you guys saw Helen this morning, um, and, 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 and a few others. Um, I forgot all the names. I apologize. But they're all on there because we've had to become lobbyists. We've also had to become geopolitical experts. Thanks to solar winds, right? Anyone had to explain the Russia-China thing against the U.S. interest to people who were like, why is this happening now? And you're like, oh, we're having the political talk. That's the most uncomfortable talk in the world, right? Because you say one word that doesn't sit right and someone's looking at you like, uh, what? And we've had to become geopolitical experts because our organizations are now part of a greater chess game between nation states, and, every, and we're, the, we're the shadow frontline uh, warriors of that battle, and we're not equipped for it because we're fighting, war, we're fighting planes and tanks and like kinetic warfare with firewalls and policies and permissions. And oh, multi factor authentication. Don't you forget that MFA stops 99.9% .9 of everything. So how you guys still get breached, I don't understand. I don't get it. All right? We're going to talk about why we're not just IT. Anyone seen the recent CISO mind map? I couldn't get it all to fit on the screen. But has, has everyone seen this? If not, I will share a link after my talk. It's the new CISO mind map. And um, 
Um, it was updated by um, Rashik Rahman, um, uh, and, and he did an unbelievable job on this thing. Um, there was the old SANS Sysomine map. Everyone remember that? I wanted to do a before and after. I couldn't get them to look good. So I was just like, I'm just going to default to the new one. The old SANS one can beautifully fit a like 12, you know, like size 12 font on a beautiful 8.5 by 11 PDF, and everyone could read it. This new mind map would require me to turn my screen sideways and start to zoom in on different bits and parts, kind of like you're building a uh, UI or UX interface for your company and you're trying to go through the different stages of what's happening. Because CISOs today are more than just IT. We're governance, we're risk, we're privacy, we're legal, we're AppSec, we're DevSec. If, if you don't think those are all part of our roles today, then you're, you're clearly mistaken and you're going to get outmatched out of that position. And those are skills that aren't really being talked about. Right? Everyone's talking about the next great cloud visibility tool or the next great firewall tools or, or VPNs or, or all that great stuff. And we all need it. It's, I'm, I'm not taking that down. I'm not dissing it. But where are the actual day-to-day -day skills that security practitioners need to have? How many people here are in leadership positions, meaning you've got direct reports? Show of hands. Right? When you're, in, when you're a direct report, we often are looking for people with technical skills, but there's always that, that one piece that we're looking for, that extra, right? That little potential that someone can come in and really become your next generation of leaders. And those skills aren't really coming from the traditional method by which we evaluate talent in cybersecurity anymore. Let's talk about that for a second. The development of the office of the CISO. How many of you guys have seen this? Anyone? Almost every single major top 50 financial company in the country and in the world today has started developing something called the office of the CISO. The office of the CISO operates like the office of the CIO or CTO or any other office within the organization. It is well-funded and well-staffed. Because now the CEOs, so there's a few CISOs starting to become, the trend is getting there, that report to the CEO. It's getting there. We've, we've made headway in there. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. You're no longer going to have to report maybe to someone you audit. That's the most uncomfortable <laughs> boss in the world. Hey, boss, um, your IT people are freaking morons, and they left all these ports open. Right? Politically speaking. Right? You wouldn't say it the way I did, but politically speaking. The office of the CISO is the new way we have to start looking at the skills that a CISO needs to have because you're no longer doing IT work. You're understanding the business and measuring the health of it. You're meeting with your business stakeholders. Right? It was a, I was on a CISO Slack channel this morning and there was a new position that opened up for a CISO and a recruiter hit me up on Slack and they go, hey, we're recruiting for this new position. Are you interested? And I go, well, what happened to the previous CISO? He's only been there eight months. He goes, he didn't get along with all the business stakeholders. So they've kind of decided to only keep him on AppSec and they want to hire someone who can get along with all the business stakeholders. So here's one of our peers, a lot of your practitioners in here, and even if you're not. So here's one of our peers who's been put in a position to succeed he couldn't succeed because we're 
constantly talking about security, but we're not really talking about the fact that we need to understand the business. We need to be de developing relationship with every single stakeholder in the company. And that's where we should be spending a, a, a good portion of our time. If you look at a pie chart for a modern CISO, if 40% of your time isn't meeting with the business, talking to the business, interacting with the business, building those relationships, you're bound to go through what this specific individual is now going through in his own organization. And I don't know that anyone would want to take that CISO role when you're replacing a guy who's going to end up reporting to you. Right? Because that's a very, not only is that very uncomfortable, you're almost always looking at that person going like, all right, he's going to fix it. And then we, we could be looking at, you know, a, an uncomfortable situation going forward. Let's talk about entrepreneurship. Most security teams I've ran have always been in startups. Anyone ever not been in startup mode? Right? Like, even if you're working for a Fortune 500 company, they're like, hey, here's, a, here's $5 million. Um, make sure we don't get hacked. You're like, what? We're a, we're a $55 billion a year company. I get five, yeah, 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 that's all you need, right? Firewalls, a few guys, you know. Get a hacker or two, you know. So they hack us so we know, you know. The guys that wear hoodies that, you know, we're going to have to talk to them about dress code and personal hygiene later. You know, those guys, right? So security has always been, from the, its very inception 20 years ago, it's been a startup and a company. We've had to go through ups and downs. We've had to make pennies go for dollars, right? We've all went to across the room to our vendor partners, right? And gone like, hey, we're a new company. I really want your tool. I can't afford it. What can you do for me, right? And uh, grow with us, grow with us. Any sales, any, any sales biz dev people in here? You guys have all heard that, right? Like, hey, grow with us, man. Because that's what we've had to do. We've been the new kids on the block. Everyone's kind of looking like, what do these guys do, security? How hard could that be? We know how to do this, right? It's pretty easy. Plus, we're writing everything in Java. There's never any issues with Java, ever. Java's perfect, right? But now we're sales. Because guess what? If you're a, you know, it, it used to be that security people, there was this kind of misconception, but also very true that we were very, like, introverts, right? Like, we only know how to talk on Slack and Microsoft, well, I won't say Teams, because Teams is fairly new. It's like post-pandemic communication, right? Let's talk pre-pandemic. So, um, and I promise I will not say the C word. Um, so um, uh, we had Slack. Uh, what am I missing? Uh, AOL, Instant Messenger. Anyone here remember that? ICQ. Yeah, we're good, right? ICQ. Like, you guys remember ICQ? Yeah. Like, there's still a building in Israel somewhere that has an ICQ sign on it. I don't know what they do in there, but someone in there is working. There's lights on all the time, right? Like, we, we were supposedly the kind of people who couldn't really communicate face-to-face. -face. But the new CISO, the modern CISO, is one that's constantly selling security. And you're selling security because, one, you're trying to get more money so you can actually do your job and not get fired. If you need an example of a great sales guy who still got screwed, Michael Johnson over at Capital One. You guys remember Cap One? Right? Cap One is single-handedly the most irritating precedent for chief information security officers that could ever take place in history of incidents. Here's why. You guys all remember Capital One, right? 
insider, a former AWS contractor that decided that they were going to take advantage of some information they knew. And then someone found out, and what did that person do? They went to the uh, bug bounty email inbox for Capital One, reported it. You know what Capital One did? Took it seriously and investigated. You know what then they did? They issued incident response protocols. They contacted their uh, law enforcement stakeholders, reported the breach, and nine days later made an arrest. Nine days later, from the moment they got the email to the moment there was an arrest of that perpetrator, nine days. How much of that data was unen- how much of that data was encrypted? Anyone know? Ninety-nine point eight. So everyone remembers like 114 million records, right? But they were useless. 99.8% of it was absolutely and utterly useless. It was encrypted. In fact, the perpetrator of the crime, in messages that were shared in court, that's FOIA information, go get it, says, I can't use this data, it's encrypted, and I don't have the decryption key. The threat actor the perpetrator of the crime, only had access to about 300,000 records in total. And those records weren't full records, meaning some of it was bank account information, some of it was social, some of it was name, email, date of birth. But none of it could give that perpetrator the full picture. And yet, despite all of that, if any of us were sitting in that room and that was our situation, how many of us would be like, whew, dodged a big one, right? Dodged a bullet. Michael was promoted to be cybersecurity advisor at Capital One. He's now somewhere else. Better place for him, good for him. But he was still promoted and then you know, exited out through the back door as a consultant and replaced. And he was the ultimate sales guy for his program. If, if anyone's ever heard him speak, great guy. One of the modern CISOs I like to consider him, built an unbelievable program. But still, nonetheless, irregardless, he still got it. And that's the challenge, that's what we need, that's the new role of the modern CISO is we've got to consistently sell the program and we've got to sell it across every single aspect of the business from board to getting buy-in from DevOps to actually do security in DevOps, right? To architects, to engineers, to marketing, to sales, to biz dev, to partnerships, and then I can keep naming divisions, finance, risk, legal, privacy. You're constantly selling and if you look at a pie chart and you say, what's the outer layer of that entire pie chart is sales. So when sysos don't want to respond to salespeople, it's because we're selling ourselves, man. We're sick of it. We don't want to, like, I'll call you when I'm ready to buy. Next slide, please. We're marketers. Yep, we're marketers. We're marketing our program. You know, one key thing that I did in my, my last role as a CISO we were building our security culture and security awareness program. And I hired a really smart person who was you know, tech savvy, who could run any tool I want and, and do really good, very good work from an awareness program. But the person lacked a little bit of the humanity aspect of it. Like I needed someone on that team that can make people click, not to shame them, but to teach them. So we hired a marketing guy. We said, hey, Mr. Marketing, your job is to create really good emails that will make people want to click or create really good ads that will make people want to click. Go do that. Here's your partner. 
here's the metrics, here's your KPIs, but I want to see the real results of what a perfectly done campaign over a period of time, because I wanted to groom our employees, kind of like how advanced threat actors would groom in a social engineering perspective. I might connect with you on LinkedIn. I may send you a few very, you know, plain PDFs or articles to send you to some websites so we build trust. I then could escalate that into a website with some adware, with some spyware. You may or may not pick it up. I then get your email. We start to email back and forth. I start to try and get different things through email, see if I can get through your defenses, see how you're communicating back and forth. So I wanted someone to groom our team from a social engineering perspective. So we hired a marketing guy. Best decision I ever made. Because everyone became aware of different things that don't make sense. One of our key challenges at the time was um, social engineering our engineers and developers. We had fake recruiters targeting our development team on LinkedIn or through Twitter, offering them jobs that don't exist in companies that do exist with salaries that don't exist. And part of that process was sell me your skills. Tell me what you're working on in order to get information. By grooming our people through marketing, a lot of our engineers and developers started noticing stuff and we developed an um, anonymous hotline. So people would call in and they would submit on a web form a uh, LinkedIn profile or a company name or a person or a handle and they'd say, could you guys check on this for us? And we were able to locate and alert LinkedIn of people who were using the platform for malicious purposes. Because all of a sudden, this recruiting person doesn't, didn't really work for that company because our threat intel team went out and did a little bit of research. And so those, our internal employees started to pay more attention to this. That's because we marketed to them. We marketed our vision. We built a security culture. And we knew that in security, everyone on the team knew we are in marketing all the time. We're also recruiters. <laughs> Talking about recruiters, right? We're always recruiting. And one of the biggest challenges we have today is, 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 is workforce development, right? You, you're hiring people to your team. You're trying to get people in your team. But you're not finding all the right skills, right? Naomi, uh, you know, there's a bunch of uh, organizations I'm a part of and, and nonprofits where we're trying to groom those next people. But we do need leaders to give young people a chance or people in mid-career transitions. Um, one of the biggest things that's been a hindrance to that is our ATS systems, right? Our applicant tracking systems within HR. We ought to be able to do, make a move on that. And as a recruiter, we need to know what the X factor is and we need to be having better conversations with, with HR because we're losing talent because we're not behaving as recruiters. We're just simply behaving as hiring managers. We need to hire and find the talent, and we got to find that talent through different uh, um, ways that they're, they're out there, and there's a ton of them out there. Um, if you're looking for people, there's a bunch of veteran organizations that will give you veterans. You know, they just hung their boots, ready to go. Uh, Bryson right there in the back of the room at UNG, he's got, you know, kids that are 
you know, some of the smartest in the country um, ready for cyber programs. So, like, th there, there are stuff out there, but we've got to go out and recruit. We, the traditional way of kind of going to HR, opening a reg, getting approval, putting it on, you know, LinkedIn or, or, or ZipRecruiter just doesn't work for security. We've got to be proactive. Um, and as a modern CISO, where's your voice I do CISO Talk, the podcast. This isn't a shameless plug, but the only reason I do, one of the main reasons I do it is because the first 15 minutes of every show is dedicated to talking about leadership with the CISO. Dedicated just about leadership. What are the hiring skills? What are your X factors? So people want to work for you. So people want to know who you are because at the end of the day, the CISO is the brand for the security program. We're it. No one else is. The company name, the benefits, all that stuff, that's the perk but security people predominantly are very curious people. They want to work with really curious leaders. How are you highlighting your leadership in the recruiting process? Where is it? Or is it hiding behind a job description that says, hey, we're, uh, we're looking for an entry-level role with two years' experience, and you should have a CISP. Anyone seen those? Yeah. You need a CISSP that you need five years, but you've got to have two years of experience for a tier one analyst role in a SOC that your, you know, average lifespan of a tier one SOC analyst is what, six, seven months? Like, we're, we're just, again, this is part of what the challenge has been for security all along is we're, we're, we're talking in IT terms, we're not talking in business. So the moment we transition that talk from recruiting perspective, give you guys kind of like an idea of how, of, of how we've done this and how, how I do this is I talk about the ROI of someone. So when we're hiring a tier one analyst and I go, I, don't, I want someone with no experience and my HR lady will look at me and go like, why? And I'm like, well, if I get someone with experience, I'm probably going to get six months. It's going to take him 90 days to get used to it, which means I'm probably going to get about 90 days of productivity out of that person before someone comes and offers him $5,000 more a year, you know, like the MSSP that we're probably going to end up having to use because we can't get anyone to do tier one analyst because they're all working for MSSPs at this point, right? So like this is like cornering the market and creating a monopoly by MSSPs if there's any in here, okay? But... They're, they're, I want someone with no experience and we'll teach them and my child will be like but I'm, I'd rather invest six months in that person and build them a career path because I know he'll be here for two to three years than I am trying to get someone who's going to be here for, for six months and not get it not, we're not going to get the return on investment and we're going to end up losing money and it doesn't matter how good of a boss you are right? you're going to have 30-40-50% attrition in your sock that's just bottom line because that job is tedious. So for good vendors out there that are listening, please automate it. Please, God, please automate tier one support. Please. We want tier two people. That helps. It's part of our recruiting. But we're also technologists. How many security people here get asked what's AI? Like when a new technology comes out, right? People come, they, they walk up to the security guy and they're like, hey, uh, you seen this deep fake stuff? What do you think of it? Well, what about uh, AI and machine learning? We've become technologists, whether we want to or not. If you're not thinking about quantum at this point, if you're not putting quantum-resistant encryption within your environments, especially if you're in several of the industries that are high potential for being the first victims of nation-state quantum type of attacks, and there was a story I covered a few weeks ago where 
China was out there getting quantum encrypted data because they're like, well, eventually we're going to have quantum computing. So we can decrypt this data and use it as part of our greater data mining operation in China. That was a China view of it. So if you're not encrypting your data, if you're not thinking about quantum resistant encryption, if you're not already, if that's not part of your roadmap, we're, we're sleeping at the wheel. There's a few things we can't avoid that are going to come and they're going to tail the rear end at us and we're either going to be ready for it or we're not. Quantum is one of them and it's coming. Supercomputers and quantum, they're coming, they're already there, right? We're just, if, if you're not in the government sector, if you're not in finance, if you're not in defense, you're not seeing it, but oh man, it's there. It's like knocking on the door. You're, you're starting to see it happen. You're starting to see it come. You're starting to see the, the kind of sophistication and the kind of speed that comes with it. AI, real AI, right? Don't, don't, don't give me the narrow AI stuff like, you know, smart machine learning, faster machine learning. I'm talking about true AI where I can take the actions of a very good threat actor, a red teamer, a black hat hacker, and put it in a computer and then multiply it 200 times over and have it come at me 200 different ways. And I wouldn't even know where it's coming from. Those are all coming. Like next year, we may not be talking about Java. We could be talking about an AI-powered malware or ransomware or, or, or something much, much greater for, from there because we're, there are organizations out there that have this and it's coming. If we're not up on technology, if you're not reading up on technology, if you're, if you're not having those conversations, I think one of our, uh, I love security events. I love technology events just a little bit more and I think we should be integrating more tech into our security events so we kind of get an idea of what is coming so we know how we can start to plan for it, adapt it, and defend for it. Um, because this stuff's going to happen. It's going to happen overnight. We're going to wake up one morning and it's going to be there. And we're going to have to deal with it. And we're public speakers. Hey, how about that, right? We, we talked about the uh, introverts and extroverts. You've got to be a public speaker if you're in security. The modern CISO is the kind of person who can go into a room and really make everyone kind of turn their head. Um, one, of, one of my favorite people to work with, uh, a guy by the name of Chuck, he, he, he has this ability as a CISO to get everyone in the room to just go, well, I'm going to go talk to Chuck about it. I'm going to go, you know, talk to Chuck. Chuck knows. And he, he, he dominates the room with presence. And that's really, really critical. Those are the kind of skills that modern CISOs need to have, that trust, that relationship, that likability, but the non-doomsday type, right? Not the doomsday type. Like, don't be, don't be the, 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 the conspiracy guy that's in there like, the Chinese are coming. They're coming. They're coming. They absolutely are. You, you just don't have to announce it. The people can see it. It's happening, right? But win people over by just personality. Personality is so key. It's so critical um, for, for so many of us. And if you're not good at public speaking, if you're not a really good uh, extrovert, take a class. LinkedIn has LinkedIn classes online for teaching people public speaking. I think they're free or if you're a premium member, just charge it to the company. Be like, I need to be a premium member on LinkedIn and you know, bill it as, as, as part of your training dollars. Go take a public speaking class. 
um, read a public speaking book. But if, if we can't stay, we can't hide in the basement of the city of Atlanta behind 18-inch thick concrete walls with no cell phone reception and expect to make a change um, going forward. We've got to be out there. And by the way, we've got to be global experts, right? Um, anyone ever have to, if, if you have not had to explain, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and now Turkey. Apparently now Turkey's an evil, I, I did not get the memo until about the last 24 to 36 hours. But Turkey now is an evil, evil cyber regime. Someone turned on Erdogan. I don't know who, but phew, Turkey is now evil. I'm just adding. It used to be China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, right? We can all agree to those four. Anyone watch, like pick up, like the Wall Street Journal called me this morning. I got an email from one of the, uh, um, one, one of the uh, cybersecurity writers for the Wall Street Journal. She goes, James, we're trying to get your quote on this new Turkish regime that's, uh, that's doing offensive cyber capabilities against uh, Western targets. And I'm like, huh, Turkey? Who are you guys trying to piss off? Like, that's like the last strategic base we have in the Middle East. Like, you're not getting a quote from me on this one. We like Turkey. Yeah, they've got a shitty leader. I get that. Like, who doesn't? But at this point, like, you know, leave the Turks alone. We need the Turks. Geopolitically speaking, like, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Turkey is now evil. Just so you know. Pick up the Wall Street Journal, Times, any respectable publication today, and Turkey's on that list. I don't know how. I'm going to ask Clint on our panel how. So, Clint, find the answers. I want to know who wrote the memo. Um, we've got to be global exports. But let's talk about the office of the CISO. I, um, I, I did this uh, with a survey from several of my peers who now have the budget and the money to become office of the CISO, to develop this office. And uh, this is kind of how they're structuring it. Um, and these are very, very interesting roles, by the way, because we're starting to see the division across the business. Um, chiefs of staff. How many of us have wanted a chief of staff forever but couldn't have one? They're, they're making a comeback in security. Um, we're starting the BSO role. Everyone heard of the BSO role? Yeah? So business information security officer. These are the cybersecurity extroverts who don't really have keyboard experience but know how to talk security that spend most of their time with sales and marketing just on sales calls all day long. They're modern-day salespeople, pretty much, right? Only they're BSOs. Now, some vendors have tried to name them CSOs. I think they've gotten a blowback, and now they've taken them back to being BSOs, all right? But business information security officer, we live in an ass world, like not rear-end, but as a service. And everything is either a software, platform, or infrastructure as a service, we live in an overly integrated world. Everything is about APIs, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, right? Everything's about integration. And in that, there's a lot of security questions. So remember how we've been talking about everything a CISO needs to have? Do any of you have times to go on with every vendor and be like, um, how are you processing my data? Where are you storing my data? Can you send me your... Has anyone ever seen a bad SOC 2 report? Ever? Any show of hands? Anyone ever seen a bad SOC 2? Wes, you've seen a bad SOC 2? One? In 12 years, you've seen one. Wow, someone didn't pay their accounting bill. All right. Um, and SOC 2. Just saying that's my new hashtag, and SOC 2. It's a cartel. 
Anyone ever seen a bad one? No. No. So what are we looking at? Controls and policies? We're not getting the real picture. We're, we're kind of, we've been kind of given this thing of saying like, here's the real picture. Well, the BSO is supposed to be your eyes and ears as a CISO. The BSO is the guy who you go to and you say, hey, um, these are our four most critical vendors. Let's have a bunch of security conversations with them. It's the person who you send to have the conversations. Hey, what are you guys doing for cloud? How are you guys processing? How are you storing it? What kind of buckets are you using? How many people have access to it? You know, the kind of stuff you don't see in a SOC 2. But they tell you everything you need to know. How are you doing encryption? The BSO is the future. Equifax locally here, I think now they've got like 15 BSOs. I think they've got one for every single business team in the company at this point. Uh, Bank of America, I've seen them. If you go on LinkedIn and you look up jobs, BSO is now a very, very popular thing. Because it is, if you're, if you're a CISO and we deal with burnout, how many of you guys get burnt out? A BSO is a nice one or two year break from being a practitioner to being the guy who kind of talks about it. But those roles are building up. We're looking at third-party risk management as becoming a real department that's going on, especially in the as-a-service in the as a service kind of enterprise environment where everything is interconnected through multiple vendors and you're using all these different you know, API gateways to connect all these different services that you're trying to get from microservices. Um, this one was very interesting to me, which was the security culture lead. Um, several of them have said that they've hired someone, they've actually opened a rec, and they've hired someone whose entire role is to study the company culture and different department culture and adapt it so that security can be embedded within that specific department's culture. Very interesting, you know, when you've got the money to spend. Why not? <laughs> right? Um, privacy program leads and so, so much more. We're moving into the big room. We're moving into the big table here, right? The boardroom, the people who we need to win over in order, one, to get more money so we can do our jobs better, but also in order to really secure our seat away from where we've been reporting to, which is the second line, into the first line. Right, the first line is where we really need to be because security is a business driver. The reason we have BSOs is because security has now become a question in every single sales process. If people don't ask you about security, there's something very, very wrong with it. So how do we get there? We got to start changing the way we go about ourselves. One of which is, we've got to start studying business. If you're not taking a business class at Georgia Tech or Kennesaw or UNG or Georgia State here locally, if you're not just taking one of those like 10, 12-week certificate classes, just to kind of get an idea of how businesses are supposed to operate, you're not taking it to know, because I'm not saying we don't know how a business operates, but we need to know the acronyms, the key words, what's trending in the boardroom, what's trending with the C-suite executives, and what do they really mean, and what's the long-term impact. We've got to stop 
the IT cyber language. We've got to move to business terms. We have to. There's, there's no other way. Like, we, 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 the cyber vocabulary is nice in this room. It sucks when you're in a boardroom. Anyone ever say zero trust to a boardroom? What kind of face did you get there? We say zero trust here. People laugh. Like, I did a survey on LinkedIn like six months ago, and I was like, zero trust, uh, a, uh, a buzzword or an actual policy? Anyone want to guess what the results were? How, what was the percentage? 50-50. Zero trust is almost as polarizing as our political climate today. Keep that in mind. Invest in yourself and align cybersecurity to the business. Everything you do should have a business case behind it. Not for why you're doing it, but it should align to make the business stronger. One of the key things I will tell you here is every dollar you invest in security, talk about how it works with sales. Remember how we were talking about how we're salespeople and marketers and you've, if you've got a BSO, that's even better. Every call your BSO is on where instead of maybe getting the plus plan, they got the enterprise plan because it gave them more security options. That upsell should be credited to security. That should be part of your slideshow to the boardroom. In the last quarter, my BSO, my VP of third-party risk management, the guy who's working with sales, was on 200 sales calls. And 27 of them were upgraded from plus to enterprise because of the security features that we offer on our enterprise plan that resulted in $7 million additional revenue to the company that wouldn't have been there had my person not been on those calls. Those are terms that the boardroom's gonna look at and go, all right, you just brought, so if we get three more of your guys, could we get to 50 million in additional revenue? And you're like, Sure, but in order to do that, we need to do all these different things because this is what customers are telling my guy on sales calls that they need from us so that they continue to do business with us or increase how they do business. And just right there, you've got your extra budget. You've got the boardroom looking at you like a business leader, not a cybersecurity person. And it's just getting that data and being proactive about it. And we've got to be proactive because sales doesn't always want security people in the room, right? Like there's nothing, I love when I do like a call with a security vendor and I'm speaking to like the, you know, like pre-sales engineer, the guy who's trying to, the, the person who's trying to qualify me, am I going to be a good customer for them? And then I go, well, let's get really technical. I go, whoa, hang on, let's bring the technical. And then when they bring the technical people on, they're like, um, um, please don't go too geek on me, right? Like they don't want to get lost, but you need to get lost in, in, in geek a little bit in order to win those businesses. And salespeople don't like geeky people on their calls because they feel like things get out of hand, right? Because maybe we're introverts. I don't know. We don't know how to talk, right? Anyone ever been on like a call with a bunch of engineers trying to make a decision? It is, I'd rather have pulled the tooth out like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Like I'd rather do that than be in one of those calls. Like that seems much funner, right? But nonetheless, we've got to get there. And in order to get there, you've got to in interject yourself with sales and show them that you bring them value. And the most successful organizations that you see today, these unicorns that you hear about that do like $50 million in sales but are somehow worth a billion dollars, if you're wondering how they're doing it, 
Security is a key aspect of it. Speak to any single one of them. They've built a trust page. They've built a security page. They've got a really good security person who can speak security but also knows how to close a deal. So critical. And find a mentor. Uh, I've got one in the back of the room. He's nodding right now. But, but I've, I've find a mentor early in, in, in your career. Find someone who's going to have the patience to really walk you through the things and kind of guide you in that right direction. If you're just getting started and you want to end up at the top, you want to become a modern CISO, find someone who's going to help you get there. Um, and take a job where sometimes you'll find someone who's going to invest in you just as much as you're willing to invest in the company. Sometimes it's not about the company, it's about the people. Most of the time it's about the people. Find yourself someone who's really going to invest in you as well and think outside the box. Because the next generation of leaders are in this room. We can all be modern CISOs. We just have to adjust the way we've been doing security and realize it's an uphill battle. This is not going to happen overnight. Uh, people like Wes, uh, that, that, that's been doing it for 12 years, um, you know, they used to be relegated to the basement. You know, now he gets a window with sunlight. Right, Wes? Yeah. Burns, yeah, I, I see you're getting tanned, man. Um, head's a little, little red, but um, we're, we're moving, I guess we're moving on up, right? Is that too cliche, right? We are, but the only way to do that is by really starting to adjust from IT to business, and understanding that cloud, AI, APIs, that's the future. If you don't know it, go study it. If you don't know business, go invest in a business class. And I can't tell you, there's so much free content out there on the internet. So much of it. Like, connect with me on LinkedIn and be like, hey, I'm looking for this. I'll find it for free. There's someone on YouTube who's done something for absolutely free that you can just have play in the background as you're working, if you're one of those people, and get a ton of value out of it. Ton of value out of it. Like, get off of Twitter and Reddit for just a little bit and invest in yourself. There's better stuff out there than Twitter and Reddit, I promise. And that's it. Um, any, how are we on time? I'm ready um, in just a minute, but uh, shameless plug, please subscribe to my podcast if you don't. I do a daily podcast at 9 a.m. every single morning. It's called the uh, Cyber News Practitioner Brief. Talk about what's happening. Um, I often have guests on the show as well, um, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fun conversation. So um, please subscribe. And CISO Talk, if you're a CISO and you want to get best practices, like best tips, just listen to CISO Talk. I've got over 150 interviews there, um, 137 interviews with 137 different CISOs. And we talk about leadership, and this isn't one of those things where, let's talk about APIs. Let's talk about how do we build a program? How do we become effective leaders? And there's a library of it. And if you're in sales and you're trying to get someone's time, listen to the podcast. Send him a message. Be like, hey, just heard your podcast on CISO Talk. By the way, here's the subscribe button. Make sure you give him a five-star rating while you're at it. But I'd love 15 minutes of your time. Most CISOs will give you that. All right. Um, Kim, you have questions? Um, I'll let you read this one because it's pretty long. And I want the virtual people to be able to hear it. Okay. Can you read that? Are your eyes well? <laughs> How do we ensure security is embedded from conceptualization of solutions 
How can we build a good security culture without sounding like doomsday to business and users? So, great question. And so, a few ways to, to look at it. One, security by design is really critical. And this is where building relationships is critical. It's key, right? We talked about like the pie chart, right? If you're spending 40, 50% of your time across the business, what are, what's the next thing, what's the next big launcher company's working on? And then why isn't security at the table from the very start of that? Why aren't we embedding security into that very concept from the very beginning, whether it be security tools into the CICD pipeline, whether, you know, with, with, with DevOps and, and, and engineers, whether it be conversations around design and product, those are all critical conversations to have. And the best way to do that is to start early on. It's all relationships. Honestly, like, it's all relationships. And the secret sauce to it is don't go sounding the alarm. If we don't do this now, then this is going to happen. The best way to go about it is you guys are working really hard on really giving us an edge as a company. The last thing I want to have happen is have some sort of security risk take place that could impact the functionality of everything you guys are all working really hard to accomplish. So we're going to be, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in on calls I had no business being on, right? But I'm just listening, taking notes. And with COVID, this has been a real kind of blessing in disguise because I can jump on a Zoom call uh, while I'm doing emails or writing a policy and just listen to a product team talk about product design. And I'm listening. And then I hear something and I go, huh, great. And if it's appropriate, I'll speak in front of everyone. And if it's not, if I realize it's not the right time, then I'll reach out to the product owner after and be like, hey, I'd love to get 15 minutes of your time. I want to talk to you about this because you know you guys are doing a lot of really good work, but I want to make sure that that good work is really profitable, has the ROI, and also has the longevity that, that you guys are trying to accomplish for the, for the company. We're all on the same team. And it's, it's all about how you present it and how you say it to those individuals. That's really, really critical. But relationships, if people don't know you, if their first interaction with you is, why are you doing this? That's not a very good first interaction. Buy pizza. Um, any leaders here send people Uber Eats at home during the, uh, during the pandemic to your team? Yeah, send them food. Like if you're trying to get someone to take a meeting with you internally, call HR, get their address and be like, hey, can we send them, what, what's their favorite food? What do they like? All right, I'm gonna send them some sushi. Send them some sushi and just say, hey, I'm hoping we can schedule a meeting and, and have sushi together or you know, Chipotle or whatever, you know, but build those relationships. And you know, now that we're, we're back to normal and we're face-to-face, -face, you can do that in person, but... One key difference, I think, from now to two years ago was how many of us now have roles that we would have never thought to be remote that are 100% remote and never coming back in-house? So Uber Eats is your best friend. I have one more virtual question. Yes. Since they can't talk to you in person, let's take theirs. How should CISO sell the future emerging technology to business, the AI, quantum encryption, et cetera? Yeah, totally great question. Um, so when you're looking at emerging technology, you have to look at a few things. One is, how is our business looking to adopt this technology from the forefront? So are we going to be using or be consumers of quantum? If we are, then the conversation's really easy. If we're not, then who is our customer? 
How do we make our money? And could someone use us, use us as a springboard to get to those organizations? How many people, how, how much business do you think SolarWinds lost post their SolarWinds event? There's, they've never released official numbers, right? But, you know, speak to people. They've lost a, a, a good, there's a reason why their competitor stock is like, right? Because some customers actually left. So the good conversation to have with the business is to talk about new emerging technology as how it's going to impact you or the main revenue generation streams of the business. Meaning if we go under a quantum attack, people are going to feel bad for us, yes. But how much revenue are we going to lose for looking unprepared? So what do we need to invest in order to start tackling that? And, does it need, and, and a lot of times we security people tend to overdo it. Work in modules. Start with your crown jewels. What's going to be the most important piece? And then build it out from there. Right? So we don't need to go do quantum-proof encryption on everything or quantum-resistant encryption on everything, but we may need to do it on this data set and it's going to cost this X amount of dollars. I think we're out of time. All right. I hope you enjoyed this keynote. Please, please, please DM me with any feedback, comments, questions, or anything else you have. You can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place to shoot me messages. Thanks so much for tuning in and I wish you all a happy new year. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. And get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.